0: Oh, sorry, that's for the 1235 service. It's a force of habit. So my name is Juan Carlos Heredia, and I have the distinct privilege of serving as the pastor of the Spanish ministry here at Sugar Creek. And um, I also want to thank Pastor Mark for the opportunity to share with you this morning. So here we are last Sunday of the year, about to enter a brand new year. And I have to say that um, every time the year ends, I have mixed feelings. Because on the one hand, I'm excited about the fact that I I have a new year that I'm gonna start, uh, new year's resolutions and goals and things that I want to accomplish the next year. But at the same time, since I'm a glass half empty type of guy, I look back at the year that has passed, and I regret all of the things that I didn't accomplish. All of the resolutions I had, all the priorities that I set out that I didn't actually accomplish. And so I have that uh, regret towards the end of the year. And it seems like, for me at least, and I suspect that for many of us here, that seems to happen every year. We're excited at the beginning of the year, but at the end of the year we regret what we've accomplished, the time that we've used throughout the year. So today, I want to share with you a biblical principle, a powerful biblical principle, that if we take it to heart, it actually has the potential not only to change 2019, but to change the rest of our lives, because that's what we want to accomplish We don't want just 2019 to be a better year than 2018, but we want the rest of our lives to be one of growth, to be one in which we continue to strive for areas of improvement in our lives. So before I do that, before I get to that principle, I have to set up a few things. And there's one principle that I need to share with you, and it's not like an aha principle. When you hear it, you're not going to say, boy, that's genius, Juan Carlos, you know, I didn't know that. We all know this. This is very intuitive, but we need to be reminded of this, and it's this. The most important things in our lives are actually the, the ones, um, and let me, let me say it this way. The most valuable things are always the most limited things. The most valuable things are always the most limited things. And I think we all, we all know this, right? We know that uh, the more limited something is, the more valuable it is. And the contrary is true. When something is abundant, it's not as valuable as, it, as other things. And so, you know, we look around, uh, and there's, there's things that, that we see that are abundant and are not as valuable. For example, you know, you go to a restaurant, and at your table, you have all these packets of sweeteners, and, and they're all over the place, and they're not, they're not very valuable. You go to the grocery store, and you can take as many grocery plastic bags that you want because they're not that valuable. You come to Sugar Creek and you see the Sugar Creek pens all over the place and you take them. Yeah, they're a little more valuable, but they're not that valuable because they're all over the place. But there are other things that we know that are limited, and because they're limited, they are very valuable. For example, your savings account, right? It's limited, so it's very valuable. Your health, your health is limited, and so that becomes very valuable. Your family, your children, your marriage, all of those things are so valuable. And your relationship with God is the most valuable thing of all. And all of those are limited, and that's what makes it so valuable. And we understand this in everyday life, right? That's why we buy our cases for our collector's items. We, we have our sports memorabilia. Uh, we have our limited edition trinkets that we collect And we understand that because these are limited, they are valuable. But here's the disconnect, and that is that the most valuable thing that we have, we don't treat it with the value despite the fact that it is so limited. And here's the thing, the most valuable and limited resource that we have is our time. The most valuable and limited resource that we have is our time. Now, again, we know this. This is probably what we normally think about towards the end of the year. We know that time is super valuable. But, again, there's a disconnect from that principle of understanding that limited things, the more limited something is, the more valuable it is. And yet, we don't actually do this with our time on a day-to-day basis. And here's the thing. There are many important things in our lives, and most of those things we can recuperate. Like, for example, jobs. We can recuperate opportunities. We can recuperate reputation. We can recuperate education. We can recuperate money. All of those things, at one point or another, we can actually get back. But the one thing that we could never get back is our time. Once we spend it, There is no way that we can get it back. That's why time is the most valuable and limited resource that you and I have. And we have another problem. I think many of us, we we understand that time flies, right? We even have the saying, time flies, and, and as we look at our, at our time, we, we get to these moments in our lives that we look back and we say, where did time go? It, it went by so quickly, right? You know, I'm, I'm tempted to tell my wife not to take down the Christmas decorations, just leave them up, because it seems like every year that it just comes by so quickly And the question is, why? Why does time go by so fast? And why do we have those moments that we can actually summarize our lives? We look back and we say, what did I do with all that time? So rather than me hammering that point, I want to use a clip from a movie uh, from someone that's actually going to make the point better than I can. And it's from a classic movie from the early 90s. It's called City Slickers. How many of you have ever watched City Slickers? Okay, great. In that scene, in the scene that you're about to watch, Billy Crystal plays the character of a of a guy, a normal guy whose name is Mitch Robbins. And he's making a presentation to his son's classroom. He's been invited to talk about what he does for a living. And as he's um, presenting and, and the kids in the classroom are asking him questions about what he does for a living, he comes to that aha moment, to the realization that he has wasted most of his life. And then he gives a brilliant summary of most people's lives. So take a look at this clip.
1: Mr. Robbins. What? Value this time in your life, kids. Because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s? You grow a little pot belly. you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. One of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. The 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. Spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? the 80s, you'll have a major stroke. You end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand but who you call mama. Any questions?
0: I suspect that some of you will have that look at the end of this sermon. But he does a brilliant summary of of just uh, life in general. We all have those moments that we look back and we say, what did I do with my life? What happened? Time flies. And the question is, why do we feel this way? Especially as we get older. Young people here, you don't feel it as much. But as you start getting older, you start questioning, why does time fly? And um, here's a principle that we need to understand that's going to help us see why this happens, And, and it's this. The older that we get, the less attention we pay to time. The older we get, the less attention we pay to time. And this is not my opinion. This has actually been studied. In fact, in a recent study conducted in 2013 uh, by American Scientific, they, uh, during several years and in different countries and across different cultures, they looked at answering the question, why do we feel that time flies? And they came up with four conclusions, I don't have time to go through all of those four conclusions, but the one that stood out for me is this principle, that the older we get, the less attention we pay to time. And so, if you think about it, this makes sense, right? Like, for example, take the Christmas season. Uh, When you're a kid, as soon as December 1st comes, you start counting down the days until you can open up your Christmas present. And it seems as though time goes by so slowly. But as you become an adult, you acquire those adult responsibilities. And you start focusing on your job, you start focusing on paying bills, you start focusing on traveling and and Christmas planning and so many different things, and for you, the Christmas season goes so quickly because you're focused on other things and not on time. See, the problem that all of us have is that the older that we get, the less attention we pay to time. And here's another issue that that we have, and that is that we neglect time because we tend to overestimate how much we have left. We neglect time because all of us tend to overestimate how much we have left. So when we talk about this, um, what we're saying is that All of us have the tendency to think that we're going to have long periods of time ahead of us, right? I mean, there's no one in this room that's thinking, wow, what am I going to do with the six months that I have left to live? No, we all tend to think that we're going to be here for a long period of time. And the question is, why do we do this? Why do we think this way? And I think in part... This is just maybe my theory, but I think in part the reason why we think this way is because of the way that we tell time. It's the way that we tell time. So let me let me illustrate this. So all of us have this, right? And we're slaves to this. We look at it and this is how we live by the clock. But there's something inherent to this that we don't realize. An illusion that it creates in our minds. And it's this. That when you look at a clock, a clock always continues to go forward. It never runs out. So it gives us the idea, the false idea, that we'll always have time ahead of us. Because that's the way that we tell time. It just keeps on going. And by the way, it's not only a problem with the clock, it's a problem with our watches as well. Whether you have a dumb watch or a smart watch, whatever the case is, your watch just keeps going and going and it creates the illusion that time will always continue for you. And the same is true about our calendars, about our daily planners, about our schedules. They always have pages, and they keep going, keep going, and keep going. And it creates this false expectation that we have this long period of time left. But the problem is that none of these really capture the reality of your life and my life. In fact, there's something better that actually captures it. And it's this. Our lives are not like a clock. Our lives are like a sand timer. And in fact, the problem with it is that we have a limited supply of time. And it runs out. And there's no way we can turn it around and get it back up here. Once time runs out, that's the end of it. Aren't you glad that you're here for this uplifting message to finish the year? Now, I'll have the answer for this in just a a minute. But the problem is the way that we tell time. That's why I love an African saying, an old African saying that that, uh, people have in, in Africa, and it's this, Westerners have watches, Africans have time. And that is, in our culture... We are so focused on being a slave of this, not realizing that this does not run out when the reality of our lives is this. So the other problem that we have is this, that our culture teaches us to number our years instead of our days. Our culture teaches us to number our years instead of our days. And if you think about it, who decided that it would be our birthdays that we would use as a, a measuring uh, stick for our time here on earth, right? Th- there's this, this idea that once you cross over, once you make it to your birthday, you get an entire new year, another 365 days, and we all live by that. And you go, wow, I made it to my birthday, so now I get an entire new year. But that's, that's a problem, Because we have no guarantee that we're going to get an entire new year. We don't have a guarantee for another month. We don't have a guarantee for another week. We don't have a guarantee for another day. Yet, our culture teaches us to number our years instead of our days. That's why I love the psalm that we're going to look at today. Psalm 90. In fact, it's the very first psalm that was ever written. And its author is Moses. And Moses, who wrote this psalm about 3,300 years ago, he, who is outside of our culture, he understands the problem of numbering your existence, your time on earth, by years and not by days. And so he says this in Psalm 90.12. As he's talking to God, he says, teach us, to number our days carefully. Notice he doesn't say years. He says days. Because Moses understands this idea that time is limited and it's valuable. And when you take it for granted and you think you're going to have this whole period of time ahead of you, the, the things that we tend to do is that we don't maximize the time that we have. So in the context of of this passage, most scholars believe that he wrote it during the wilderness wanderings. And uh, as he was with the people of Israel, and because of their disobedience, God had brought, brought judgment on them. And now they're in the wilderness. He's looking back at time, and he's looking back at the number of years that he's had. And he's saying, wow, Lord, what happened to our time? Time is so brief. It flies. And here we are. And we need to take advantage and understand the valuable gift that we've been given. So, one of the things that we need to understand is that we need to number not our years, but we need to number our days. We need to understand that every day is actually a gift. Now, that's very different from our culture because. In our society, we strive for longer living rather, or instead of wiser living. We all strive for longer living instead of wiser living. And that is, we live in a culture where we're obsessed on how to live longer. Because you might be saying, Juan well, Carlos, who are Are you saying that we should just accept our fate and whatever number of years we have, we we live this pessimistic existence? No, 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 I'm not saying that at at all. And um, in fact, I'm saying, you know, do what you need to do to live as long as possible, be healthy as possible, exercise, eat right, make sure that's one of your resolutions for uh, the new year. But we do have an obsession with living longer. And the problem is that in living longer, we're we're not paying attention to the today. We're living at the expense of today. And so um, it's it's interesting that as I looked at the history of, of eating well and nutrition, especially here in the U.S., it hasn't really delivered as we expected it to. In fact, I was looking at three of the major figures in, in uh, wellness and, and in eating right and in doing all these things, and the first guy that became really popular was someone that lived back in the 1930s, and his name was Clive McKay. He, he was a nutritionist. And he actually uh, was wanting to extend the life of people to 130 years. And he claimed to have discovered this diet in which he, uh, he allowed or he helped rats live to 130 years. And once he did that, he started implementing the same diet habits for himself. And this actually produced that he uh, became trim and athletic. Did it deliver uh, for him to live 130 years? Unfortunately, it didn't. He had two strokes, and he died at the age of 69. 69. Now, he wasn't the only one. Years later, in the decade of the 60s, a guy that was hailed as the guru of organic foods, that's a term we hear a lot today, he was the first one that came up with this idea of eating right in order to live longer. And his name is Dr. Jerome Rodale. And Dr. Jerome Rodale, he published this uh, health uh, uh, magazine industry, and he actually wrote this book that was called The 120-Year Diet. And not only did he write The 120-Year Diet, he actually wrote the continuation, which is beyond The 120-Year Diet, which I wasn't sure. Does that mean you, if you buy both, you live 240? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. And he was actually on a show, And he was presenting his theories about his diet. And on the show, he was boasting that he was going to make it to 100 years old. And during a break, he made this loud, snoring uh, noise, and he died right there on the set. He was 72 years old. Now, let me give you one more example. The last example is something more recent, and this was in the... um, in the 80s, and, um, and this guy's name is Dr. Roy Walford, and he advocated for the 1,600-calorie diet. And, uh, and he, uh, despite everything that he discovered, he died. He was at least the oldest one of these three gentlemen to, uh, to live. He died at the age of 79. So as much as we've advanced, we haven't made it to the point where we're extending our lives where we want it to be. So, Carlos, are you, are you just saying that, you know, we shouldn't take care of our health and, and we shouldn't try to, to live as healthy as possible? No, 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 I'm not saying that at all. In fact, that's one of my resolutions for next year. I want to eat right. I want to I be fit. I want to exercise. My goal is to be as healthy as possible when I die. <clears throat> so... Thank you. Some of you got it now. Okay. (laughs) But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Our culture is obsessed with healthy living at the expense of wiser living. And, And yes, focus on being healthy. Again, allow this to be one of your resolutions. But even more importantly, living wisely should be the focus for all of us, not only this coming year, but the following years that we have ahead of us. In fact, that's where uh, Moses, uh, actually in the psalm, two verses prior, he actually states that God has set a limit for all human beings. And he says in verse 10 of Psalm 90, our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. In other words, God has already set a limit for all of us. We all have an expiration date. And because of that, rather than being obsessed with trying to live longer, what we should do is actually try to live wiser. And you might be saying, well, what does that even mean, live wiser? How do, I, how do I, I do that? And here is where we come to that powerful biblical principle that Moses is pointing us to. And it's so incredible. I love the Bible that, uh, that uh, 3,300 years ago, um, Moses had already received the answer from God for the same issues that we deal with today. And this is what he writes. Love this uh, verse. Psalm 90, verse 12. He says this. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. So, how can I summarize this for you? Well, this is... This is the main point of everything that I'm sharing today. In fact, if you forget everything that I've, that I've shared with you today, this is what you need to take with you. And this is what Moses is saying. And it's this. The wise count their days in order to make their days count. The wise count their days in order to make their days count. In fact, repeat that with me. The wise count their days in order to make their days count. And that's what we need to do in our lives. That is, notice that Moses is not uh, saying here, Lord, give me um, more time, extend my time, help me be immortal. No, no, he doesn't say any of that. Moses is understanding this precious gift. As gloomy as this message might sound, as depressing as what I'm sharing might sound to you, it's actually a gift. Because once you understand the concept that time is limited and therefore it's valuable, then you start appreciating it and using it and maximizing it as we should. In fact, that's what the wise do. The wise understand that time is not unlimited The wise understand that time is limited, and so every day counts. Everything that you do has an impact, and therefore the time that you've been allotted by God is a gift for you, and we need to use it wisely. So how do we do that? How do we actually live wisely? Well, how do we make our days count? And I'm going to suggest three things for us today. three things that, if we implement this in our lives, again, it's going to help us to count our days and therefore live a wiser life. And the first thing is this: Find a way to remind yourself that life is brief. Find a way to remind yourself that life is, is brief. because Here's here's what we all face. In our society, as busy as we get, we focus on so many things. And as I mentioned, the older we get, the less attention we pay to time. And all of us do this. This is is a routine we all fall into every year. And therefore, we need to find some kind of reminder that will help us understand that our life is brief. And therefore, it's valuable. No second, no minute of your life is to be wasted. And so uh, I read about um, a quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings and uh, Kurt Cousins. And this is a picture of uh, Kurt Cousins. And, um, and he's actually going to be playing today. And, um, and so Kurt Cousins was actually in a, a Bible study. And, and they were actually teaching on this very same passage that we're looking at today. And he was convicted about the way that he was using time. So after the Bible study, he came up with an idea. He got this jar, and he filled it with 720 stones, small stones, each one representing the number of months that he was going to live. His his idea or his goal was to live until he was 90. And so every day he takes, uh, or I should say every month, he takes a stone from the jar and places it in his pocket. And every time he puts his hand in his pocket and he touches that stone, it's a reminder that life is passing by. It's quick, it's valuable, and it's limited. And so after every month, he takes the stone, he tosses it away, and as time goes by and he continues to look at that jar, he's reminded of the importance of his time. What would happen if you created a visual reminder about the number of weekends that you have with your children left. What if if you're to create a visual reminder of the time that you have left in your marriage or with your parents or a season of health that you have to serve God? See, visual reminders are very powerful. And you could say, Juan Carlos, that's a little morbid. Yes, it might be a little morbid, but it's biblical. In fact... Solomon, King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, encourage us to find visual reminders so that we understand that time is limited. In fact, it's the first time you read it; it's a little weird. Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes um, chapter seven, verse two. It says this: "It is better to go to a house of mourning." Than to go to a house of feasting. That's weird. Because what Solomon is saying is this. It's better to go to a funeral than it is to a party. And I don't know about you, but I have no plans to cancel my New Year's celebrations. And find the closest funeral to me. I, I'm not going to do that. So what is he saying? He's actually saying this. Funerals are visual reminders of how brief life is, right? Because when you go to a party, you have a good time. You have a great time. And during that time, you forget that life is brief. You forget that time is going and passing by, and it's limited. But all of us, when we go to a funeral, we're convicted about being there, and we wonder when it's going to be the day that we're going to be the star of our own funeral that what we're, it, it helps us question what we're doing with our lives. Am I going to have an impact? Am I doing the things that I need to do? We all wonder that when we're at a funeral. And that's why he actually ends in this verse uh, by saying this. When you go to a, a house of mourning ins- instead of a feasting, he says, since that is the end of all mankind, and the living should take it to heart. We all need visual reminders that life is brief. Life is something that we need to appreciate because it's so valuable. But another thing that we need to do is this every day, ask yourself if this is my last day, how should I live it so that I would not regret it? Every day, We should ask that question when we start off the day. If this was my last day, how should I live it so that I would not regret it? And I have so many people. In fact, I've done the same thing. People come to me and and they say, Juan Carlos, wow, if I would have known this was going to be the last conversation I was going to have with this person, I would have done it so differently. If I would have known this was the last opportunity that I had to do this in my life, I, I would have taken it a lot more seriously. See, we all ask the question, but we do it after the fact. It's much better that we do it beforehand. And I was reminded of this not too long ago. A few weeks ago, uh, one of my wife's brother-in-laws lost his, uh, lost his youngest brother unexpectedly in a car accident. Early 30s, a doctor, a newlywed, uh, an incredible young man of God. No one expected him to die in a car accident. And so what broke my heart is when I saw on his Facebook uh, posting uh, this this, uh, picture of him, and in the picture he says, this is the last picture that I have with you. I wish I would have known this was the last time I was with you because I would have told you how much I admired you. I would have told you how much I, I love the way that you always cared for mom for the way that you treated my kids, for how much I admire you to love God. See, we always ask that question after the fact. But what if we created the habit of asking the question at the beginning of our day? Then we would understand that time is valuable and it's limited and that we're to use it to the best of our abilities to maximize it. One more thing that we need to understand, and it's this. Um, Establish your priorities, not in light of the brevity of life, but the eternality of God. Establish your priorities, not in light of the brevity of life, but the uh, eternality of God. That is... You know, set your priorities for next year, your, your uh, resolutions for next year. Uh, thank God for every day that we have. But, he, but here's the reality, that all of us are here just for a brief time. And understanding that will help us live as we should. But there's one thing that's going to remain. There's one thing that's going to still be here after we're gone, and that is God. See, uh, Moses actually... Says in this psalm, and I I skipped over that, but uh, let me let me read it real quick. In verses two and four, Psalm ninety-two and four, he says, "Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God." Moses recognizes this, the fact that everything is going to pass right? Even in the way that he's telling time, he doesn't say from beginning to end because that's the way that we account for time. He says no. He says from eternity to eternity, God, you've always been here. You're the thing that's going to remain after we're gone. Generations before us have come of beautiful, talented uh, people that have, have done so many great things and they've come and they've gone. And one day, we're going to be that generation as well. But one thing is going to remain, and that's God. God is going to remain because he's eternal. And that's why he says in verse 4, For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday, that passes by like a few hours of the night. In other words, God, you don't have the problem that we have where our time is brief for you. A thousand years can go by, and it's nothing because you are eternal. So as you set your priorities for next year, Instead of focusing on living for the things that you want, what about if you establish your priorities in light of who God is? That's why, let me end with this verse. The Apostle John, he encourages us about this. He says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world with its lust, that is the world with its desires, with its sins, with the things that it obsesses about, is passing away. All of these things are going to be gone one day. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. What would your life be like if you lived it in a way that you understood that life is brief, That it's not going to last forever, at least on this earth. And therefore, it's valuable. And you lived your life in a way that you count your days in order to make your days count. Living it in the light of the eternality of God. Your life would be completely different. Why don't we go ahead then and live like that? for the rest of our lives. Let's bow our heads and pray. So Father, we thank you for life. We thank you that even though it's brief and we strive to live longer, the reality is that every day that you give us is a gift from you. And rather than asking for more life, we ask that you would help us live wiser lives, that we would make every day count by counting our days and living it in the light of who you are, your eternality. That wherever we are, as we look at the new year and new opportunities, we take hold of them, but we do it in a way that we would live to bring glory to your name. And all of these things we pray and we ask in Jesus' name.